Speaking of going on and on and on, welcome to episode 303 of Canada's Pinball Podcast, the only pinball podcast that has a lower play field. Now, ladies and gentlemen, on this episode, you're going to get to hear from Quinn Johnson over at Deep Root Pinball, right? Even as I say Deep Root, it's like this mysterious entity in the pinball world. And I do believe in the balance of force in the pinball universe, right? That for one new pinball company to come out, another has to go away to keep that balance of the force. And so did we finally get the nail in the coffin with Dutch Pinball? So they finally sent out another newsletter. And and I, I have to say, it's not dead because they keep making their buyers have faith and hope in the company. I want to read what they wrote. They wrote, We found out that lawsuits take a lot of time in the Netherlands. The story with ARA goes on and on and is still not finished. Here is a recap of what happened. We, Barry and Yop, and our attorney were invited to a court hearing on December 5th and we and ARA could both tell our side of the situation. This week we received a temporary verdict. It says that the court advises ARA and us to sit down and discuss to see if we can come to an agreement. Our next steps will be to investigate if we can come to a settlement. We hope you will understand that we can't give any more details. As soon as we have a final verdict or a solution, we will let you know. We never realized that we would end up in a courtroom when we started to design the most beautiful pinball machine, and we are sorry that we dragged you into this situation. We are very, very grateful for your continuous support. If we have news that we can share, we will let you know. Regards, Barry and Yop. P.S. Yop's cancer is gone. The radiation and chemotherapy were successful, and Yop is now working on his recovery. So that was the update from Dutch Pinball. And I have to say, well, first, I'm happy that Yop's cancer, uh, he's in the clear for now. All right, I'm glad. I never wish any bad health on people. But what a joke of an update. And and, and I just, I want to say, the reason why this is a joke is it's now been two years and we are still at step one, which is ARA and Dutch Pinball trying to figure it out. What is the point of the legal system over there? The judge's verdict is a temporary verdict for these guys to sit down and try and figure it out. Why would it take longer than a few hours for them to get together and figure out a solution? I thought they were already doing that. I thought they were having lunch. I thought all this stuff was supposed to have transpired. It's now been two years. You can't tell me that these two entities can't get into a room and figure out within two hours whether or not anything's ever going to happen with the the production of the Big Lebowski. Now, look, again, here we are in in a perpetual state of limbo where nothing dies. And I just want to say this. I don't know what happened, but but here's my best guess at what happened with this whole situation. And I don't think we're ever going to get the truth because they lied to us about why uh, the wait was taking so long when they said it was a board malfunction when it wasn't. They were actually lying to everybody. Here's what I think happened. I think Barry and Yop pissed through the initial the initial capital they got from the Big Lebowski buyers. I think they spent the money, whether it was on traveling the world with the game, 
whether it was personal salaries, whether it was whatever. I don't know exactly where the money went, but I know it didn't go to where it was supposed to go. And I think what happened was they thought they would be able to make up that capital down the road because I thought they, I, I bet they thought they were going to sell a few thousand of these games. But the problem I think happened when they got the first bill from ARA. I mean, literally the whole thing collapsed once they got that first bill from ARA and they couldn't pay it. And so that was for, I believe, the 50 games that were made and shipped. And then they had to pay for the other 40 games that were sitting in box at ARA. And that's when the whole thing collapsed. And that was about two years ago. So since then, they've not been able to figure out a solution. It sounds to me like the only solution to get this thing back in production is money, which they don't have. Where's that money going to come from? It's never going to materialize. Okay, so two years later, square one. And then what happened with the whole, what was it, Zyrtec, Zytec, whatever Chinese manufacturer that was supposed to fix the problem? that they were going to move the whole production to somewhere else, all the amount of time, money, and effort they spent on that venture also failed. Now, where's all that money coming from? The plane tickets to China, the training of the staff, the tooling up of that facility, all that collapsed. And so here we are, over two years later, back to square one. And nobody who paid for their Big Lebowski other than those early achievers, the first 50, got their games. So here's what I think should happen. I think that Barry and Yap should set up a conference call with everyone who paid them money on the Big Lebowski and they should have ARA in the room and they should actually allow the buyers of the Big Lebowski who have been waiting for years to get their game, I think they should allow them to hear the truth once and for all. You can't tell me. I don't care if it's each game cost 1000 more than we thought it was going to make or cost to make, if it was 2000 more. What's the truth? How much more per game did it cost ARA to make than you thought it would cost to make? Like why can't they simply transparently tell us the truth? I think the reason why they won't is because they know the truth includes them burning through the money and that money not going to where it was supposed to go. It happens all the time in in new businesses. People start to use the money that was invested to build the games, to pay salaries, to take trips, to do other things. You start to feel rich. You wake up all of a sudden and you've got a million dollars in an account that you didn't have before. Really hard to make sure that money gets allocated to where it's supposed to go. Look, and I could be, if I'm wrong, so be it. But I've yet to see these gentlemen tell us transparently the truth of the situation. And I, you would think by now, someone would, would hear from ARA and get their side of the story. If someone in Sweden, you know, I actually have a creative director who lives over there. I should ask him in because they probably speak just Swedish to like actually see if he can go over there and line up an interview with Canada's Pinball Podcast. That would be the, the interview of the year if you could get someone from ARA to talk about their side of the story. Anyway, what else is going on in pinball? Uh, if you haven't seen uh, Charlie Emery and Ben Heck have been having words 
on uh, on pin side. Well, look, it, go read it. I mean, the shots have been fired. Chuck fired back with some shoulder missile blast towards Ben Heck, basically saying that uh, he offered Ben half the company at the beginning. He uh, Ben, you know, Ben would quit midway through projects. He he was unreliable. Uh, Charlie didn't want to type that. Uh, we know Ben feels like his game was pushed aside for games he didn't think were that good. A lot of public sort of back and forth vitriol that I don't know about you guys, but man, it's like I don't think anyone wants to see those two like attack each other anymore. I mean, it's pinball forum. It's supposed to be fun. It's fun when you know you, you get people like uh, different members on there going back and forth. But these two gentlemen are, are, are very well respected in the pinball industry and in the hobby. And so to see them go back and forth is, is, is a little unsettling. I, I, as much as people think I enjoy the drama, I mean, when I was reading, I was like, oh, it's kind of cringing. Like, oh, man, like I wouldn't have... I wouldn't have said what, what what Ben said. I wouldn't have typed what Charlie typed. I would have taken that stuff offline. Like stuff like that deserves to be offline. Uh, that being said, uh, I think Ben is going to come on the show. I'm supposed to talk to him this week. Want to talk to him about 2019 and and what he thinks is going to happen in pinball. Um, and we might ask about this and see like what like what what's the deal? Like what how does he really feel about all of this? Because uh, it it seems to be something that is on both their minds and and won't go away so we'll see if ben um you know will join the show and talk talk more about it so what else is going on pinball so before we air the quinn interview just lastly i want to say a couple things about about the monsters and about the beatles and something that i've just been picking up as i read the threads i think more and more people are starting to come to their senses on both of these games and i think in general the pinball buyer, the new inbox buyer, and you know who you are. You probably listen to this show because I think most people who listen to this show are, are pinball buyers and collectors. This isn't where you come for tournament talk. I don't think I've seen more flip-flopping back and forth on games quite like I've seen with the Munsters and the Beatles. You know, day one, Munsters is the greatest game of all time. Two weeks later, it's a simple game. It's going to be too easy. It's not going to be the match, that much fun. That single, those two big single targets just reek of laziness. You know, like the sky's falling on that game. The Beatles, complete opposite. Game's total crap. Who the hell wants this? This is overly simple. The Beatles deserve more than what they got. I can't believe Stern is doing this cash grab. And then a couple weeks later, hey, I played the Beatles. It's fun. I really enjoy it. It's getting way more plays than I thought it would. Having fun with the Beatles. So are we at the point now? Where I think it's fair to say that with all these new games coming out and with so much invested, both money, time, energy, emotion, everything you guys put into pinball, I think we're at the point now where I think you just have to play the game. What else is there to tell you? Like, what I don't know what else advice I can give. I've seen people shit all over the monsters and you ask them one question. Well, have you played it? And they're like, no. Wait, 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 so you, you made your opinion up based on a, a, a freaking Twitch stream of a game? That you There is no way that you can make up your mind on a pinball machine by watching a stream of somebody else play it. How does it feel to you? Because you know what you bring to the game? You, you bring your skill set. You bring your emotional connection to the theme. You bring you. 
and you and only you can decide if a game is fun for you. And this this uh, a- activity of running after every new game and either buying it or passing on it, slamming it or praising it, it's all kind of stupid. I I don't know. I just I I've been reading so much of it lately and I think everyone is jumping so quickly to a conclusion on a game. And maybe I'm guilty of doing that too, but I don't think so. Like I I went and played Pirates a bunch. It's just not the game for me. I'm going to play it some more and I want to play Pirates with someone who can explain it to me better. I think that would help me get a better appreciation of what's going on in that game. Uh, but at least I go and play the game. All right? Beatles, I played it. I thought it was like fun. I didn't think it was $8,000 fun. I'm not a huge Beatles fan, but I could see why people who love the band would love the game. But it's again, it's not a game where I feel like I'm going to go pay $8,000 for this. So that's my feelings on the Beatles. I think the Diamond and the Platinum Editions are complete, complete and utter ripoffs. There's absolutely nothing that warrants the price of those games. Uh, and I think if you want a Beatles, I think you'll be able to get one in, in, in a year or so for much less money. Now, is it selling out? Has it sold out? I don't really know. I don't know how to know these things anymore. You know, when I read in the thread people trying to speculate how well it's selling, uh, what do you? How do you figure that out? Do you know how many distributors placed orders on the Beatles? Stern could have placed, uh, could have sold everyone through to through two distributors. I don't know. I can tell you. Sometimes I'll go on eBay and I'll look and see. Wow, there's a lot of Deadpool LE still for sale. So maybe Deadpool LE didn't sell very well because it didn't sell out. And and. I wouldn't want to be a distributor sitting on four Deadpool LEs. I don't think they're going to move anytime soon. I think there's so many new games coming out that when you overbuy an LE from Stern and you're a distributor, I think you're going to take a little bit of a hit. I don't know what the margins are either. We got a little bit of that from Nick Parks, right? What happened when we started to get a little bit more finite information on how much it costs Stern to make these games? how much the margin is for distributors. What happened, right? The Stern Army like came after him a little bit and we had to take down some of that sensitive information. Um, but look, just play these games, people. Don't praise Munsters for being the greatest game ever until you play it. Don't, don't criticize Dwight for making a shallow game that has no depth until you've actually played it. Don't say you hate the targets until you've actually shot it. Right? Don't don't crucify Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle for being a brick fest unless you play it and you come to that conclusion. Yes, I do think the shots are tight. I don't get overly tight overly tight shots in games. Yes, I don't buy it when people tell me, "Well, you have, you know, you have to learn the shots. You have to learn." And then it opens up. Houdini, once you learn how tight those Houdini shots are, then the game's super fun. Now, come on. No pinball machine should be frustrating. It's the opposite of fun. Okay? So that's what I implore you to do. Um, let me air this interview with Quinn. I think you'll enjoy it. Now remember, like he couldn't talk so much about what they have going on. I still think Deep Root is going to come to TPF with something. I do. I, I, I just can't imagine them missing TPF 
And then when? When then when how are they gonna reveal where? I don't think Robert's the kind of guy who wants to pull the curtain off and be like, mic drop moment, here's what we got. And and I think he wants to do it uh it, it, sort of like a Trojan horse, like nobody sees it coming. I think he's gonna wheel in something, pull off the curtain, and all of a sudden like all the attention Stern thought they were going to get, all the attention Jersey Jack thought they were going to get. I, I think he's going to look to do a little bit of like a coup man at this show. That's just my speculation. Again, nothing is confirmed, uh, but that's just what I would do if I were him. Anyway, everyone, here's Quinn Johnson from Deep Root Pinball. Have a great day and we'll talk to you soon. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome one of the most highly anticipated guests I've ever had on Canada's Pinball Podcast, Quinn Johnson coming from Texas who works at Deep Root Pinball, which you all are very familiar with. Quinn, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for coming on. You know, I mean, it's it's hard for me to get guests on the show because the Stern folks don't come on no more. The Jersey Jack folks don't come on no more. And Robert was kind sure. enough to say, if you have to talk to somebody, you need to talk to <laughs> Quinn about pinball. So... Quinn, are you ready to live up to those expectations? Uh, we'll find out. You know, if I make a big fool of myself, then at least it'll be entertaining. So, and you've done podcasts before, right? I mean, this is this is not completely new territory to you. Yeah, well, so several years ago, so I I do um, I have a comic book that I've been working on for several years with um, one of my best friends, and so he and I and my little brother Troy, who's also um, really big video game designer. The three of us did a podcast for gosh, a few years. This is several years ago, but, but we did a podcast called the dark on city podcast. And, uh, yeah, so we, we just kind of talked and goofed around and right. talk, talk stuff. So yeah, so this is kind of, you know, I've done stuff like this before, but it's always kind of fun to kind of be on the other side where, where I'm, you know, yeah, now, you're, asked, now you're being interviewed. Yeah. So, and, and, and for, for yeah. listener of the show, so, so Quinn, is a storyteller and he's worked before on comic books such as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, video game designer, level builder for Disney. So Quinn, you know, I, I was going over like your background and, and is it fair to say that you consider yourself to be a storyteller, a game developer, a someone who loves to create experiences for, for fans and, and for for geeks and nerds like like pinball fanatics? Oh, absolutely. That's that's yeah, that's what I'm super passionate about. So yeah, absolutely. Quinn, you're a storyteller. You've worked in comics, in video games. Pinball is a really interesting medium to try and tell a story. I want to ask a lot of questions later on about how you actually think about storytelling through that medium. But how did you even get introduced to Deep Root? Yeah, so that's a good question. So, so I worked for a couple of different video game studios uh, for a few years, and then, um, and then honestly, the so I was in Utah. I, so I, I lived in Utah before I came here, and for whatever reason, a lot of the uh, the game companies started closing shop. So, so along with several of my my friends I used to work with, you know, I was looking for something for a while, and. You know, obviously, I wanted to take my time and find something that really fit what I love to do and and what I'm good at, and and uh, just trying to find a good match for that. And so, honestly, it was nothing more than I, I looked on a job website, and that was one of the ones that came up that kind of had some of the kind of the direction that I was looking for with my with my career and interview, and I just well, I just applied, and then they interviewed me, and so it's a pretty 
not a very exciting story as far as that goes, but it was, yeah, it was kind of unique in that I didn't know anybody at all there, you know, and, and right. it was actually, it was actually funny when I got, when I saw the, uh, you know, the job posting, it was like looking for a narrative, you know, like a, like a game narrative designer for pinball. And I was like, Oh, I wonder how that works. And, uh, so I was like, well, I'll, I'll check it out and find out more about it and see if, see what it is. And, uh, so it was kind of a, which was kind of exciting because, you know, it was, it, it kind of became a, a position where, where Robert gave me a lot of freedom to figure out what that meant to, to be a, you know, a, a storyteller for, for pinball and, and how that could, um, you know, what, what, what form that would take and what would be the most, uh, cool immersive type of thing. And then I kind of had to work with, with the others to figure out what that would look like and, and make it something really cool. So, right. So was the first interaction over the phone and, and, and you guys, so you, you obviously have worked in different mediums. Had you played a bunch of pinball before, you know, answering that inquiry? So that's actually a great question. So I, you know, I, I am a huge video game guy. So I had grown up playing video games my whole life. So I had been around pinball games, you know, like I'd seen, I remember seeing Terminator 2 and Adam's Family and um, some of the other really famous pinball games, Twilight Zone. So I'd been around them like in video game arcades and stuff like that and thought, wow, you know, those look really cool. And and like most people, I kind of dabbled in pinball here and there, but I was you know, I was, I was as someone who was not super deep into it. I, I kind of figured your whole, your whole job in pin in playing a pinball game was to just survive, you know, just to, just to keep that ball from draining and, and try to survive. And if you get some points, then that's great. So, um, so yeah, I did not come from a really deep pinball background, but just a general video game, you know, game design type mindset when you're when, not uh, alone you're not alone Quinn most people and I grew up in the arcades in the mid mid 80s early 90s same thing yeah. like it was like Street Fighter 2 Ninja Turtles Mortal Kombat Adam's family was there but it was just kind of like something I played as I waited people to get off of Street Fighter <laughs> right right yeah yeah exact same exact same situation so okay so you you, you you saw it and then you saw the listing and so this is a completely new medium and what I'm curious about is how you know looking at the pinball machines from the past like and and storytelling through pinball is something i'm really curious about because this was not a a job inquiry to be a pinball coder right this was more about can you help us shape the storyline of a pinball experience exactly exactly yeah the coding yeah coding isn't involved in it at all which i'm grateful for because i i that stuff is totally over my head so so people who listen to this podcast, they they know a lot more than anyone probably should know about pinball. So they know all about how like coding is, and they 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 look at a game like a Batman and Lyman Sheets, right? Famous coder at Stern and Keith over at Jersey Jack. The coders oftentimes, I think, also are looked at as the storytellers of the game. Now, how does it work at Deep Roots? Are you working hand in hand with a coder and like? I know we're not, we don't know any of the games, right? So we're still hypothetically talking here, but sure. what, how early on in the process are you sitting down with these designers and these coders and saying, well, what's the story we're trying to tell here? Right. Well, it's actually, it's a really actually a pretty cool process. It's very collaborative. Um, typically the way that it's happened is that, you know, I'll, I'll talk to Dennis or Barry or whoever is, is coming up with the main 
design for the game, kind of what the what the layout's going to be, what are the main features going to be on this game, what are some of the main mechs and stuff on the playfield going to be. Um, you know, and a lot of time they'll they may have the beginnings of a story in their mind or at least a genre. Um, and so I just kind of take it from there. And and so actually, what they what most of the time is, has happened is they come up with this basic game design, this basic theme idea, and they say, you know, you you do whatever you want to do with it, and and uh, and just just take it from here. And and uh, which is really cool, really really cool to work with these crazy talented legends and and uh, and to have such a good friendship with them. And and but yeah, I mean. We just kind of take it from there, and and then uh, and I'll just generally I'll just start writing. I'll just start coming up with characters and who the main characters are going to be, and kind of what's the right what's so the story. You know, kind of like just build it from there, and then and then you know, and of course we we collaborate the whole time. So I'll say this is what I was thinking so far. What do you think? And then they'll come back with ideas, and then we'll kind of bounce things off each other. So right. What I'm curious about, because obviously, you know, in the world of video games, you you you're designing a virtual world, but in, in the world of pinball, you're you're working with a a physical world. So, how does it work with trying to create a story? But are you inheriting, you know, the mechanisms and the toys, or do you ever have like ideas, like like for example, if this is a story we're trying to tell, um, it'd be really great if we had a toy or a mech that could actually, you know, create that story to life and, and that world under glass in the best possible way. So like, you know, is it, do you have an ability to shape what physically goes on into the game? Yeah, actually. Well, it's, it's kind of both, both those examples that you shared. So there's times when they're like, this is what we're planning on having physically on the play field. So these are, these are the, the opportunities slash limitations that you have to wrap some, some gameplay ideas and some story around. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, yeah, there's been tons of times where I'm coming up with something and I say, man, I, in my mind, it would be really cool if there was this feature on the play field that did this and this. What do you think? Right. Um, and, and then the designer and, and some of the other like the mechanical engineers and those that are involved in all that physical side of it. Right. Um, a lot of times they're like they're like, yeah, you know, that sounds like that's a cool idea. And let's see if we can make it work and iterate on that. But, you know, but obviously there's times when they're like, yeah that physically is impossible. So let's think of a different thing that would also be cool. That would serve that purpose. So, so it's it's kind of a neat challenge to kind of go back and forth and back and forth and, and, and just develop it as we go. Is, is pinball as a storyteller, has pinball been one of the most challenging mediums to tell a story? Well, it is, it is. And it's, but it's, it's a unique and really cool challenge. Um, And kind of the way that I think about it is, you know, with, with, with like a video game or a movie, typically you're like, all right, it's just programmed in there to, you know, everything stops and now you just watch this big long cutscene or, or movie scene or whatever, right? To kind of tell the story and flesh it out. Pinball, you don't have that because this, you know, because generally speaking, the ball is always in motion. There's always something that you have to be keeping an eye on. And so you're like, so how do you, how do you tell a big immersive story or make it a really cool immersive experience when you have that? that aspect that's kind of central to what pinball is. And so, so you're like, okay, so how do we still, what are the opportunities that we have to still get across a compelling story or characters or story beats um, within this special media, you know, this special medium that we have with pinball. So, right. so you have to think about, okay, so what are the opportunities? What are, what are some cool things that you'd have to do game rules wise or rule set wise 
um, you know, for a challenge or, or a mode or whatever. And then, you know, and then you have to think, okay, and it has to, a lot of the time it has to end with there being someone to physically lock the ball. Right. And then you're like, well, if the ball, then when the ball is locked, then you have a little bit of breathing room to, to show a scene or whatever you want to do. Um, you know, but a lot of the time there's just clips that last a couple seconds and, and that's what you get and that's okay. And if they kind of give flavor to the whole thing and build it out gradually, then and it adds to the experience and that's fine. It doesn't, you know, it's not a movie, it's not a video game, um, but you can still tell cool stories. I guess it's kind of like, uh, really, I guess it's kind of like uh, comic books in a way where, you know, if you're looking at a comic book page, it's not moving images, it's, it's still images. Um, but that still image can still tell a lot of story just by looking at it for a few seconds. Just, but you have to choose what the visual is going to be. You have to choose what the, the dialogue is going to be right? Um, to get across that story within just a, a brief look, you know, right. that makes sense. No, absolutely. And, and I think everyone can relate to in pinball. I think there's been a, a real sort of, um, in a, you know, I don't want to say innovation, but I want to think there's been a, a progression into the story being told more it has moved from the play field up into the LCD screen right and I think we've seen more and more new games have a lot more time being spent on the LCD do you think that right. I mean talk to me about that because as when you're playing pinball and I notice in, in this in some games where a lot of effort goes into an LCD screen but I can't really look up that long how do you right. figure out that balance where you know, we're telling the story, but we're not requiring the player to spend too much time while they're frantically trying to keep the ball alive. We can't put too much on the screen and, 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 and have their eyes being, you know, going up and down all the time. Right. Well, and that's one of the, you know, and I'm sure this is how it is for everybody, especially people that were that are new to the pinball world like I was. You know, it's like you don't even have it's like what you said. It's like you don't if, if you try to look up and look at this screen and try to get some sense of what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, then you drain the ball and, you know, so it's like, okay, well that was, that's a problem. And, but it's a common problem. It's, you know, it still happens all the time today. There's lots of games, pinball games that I play now where I'm like, I'm like, I have no clue what I'm supposed to be doing. And if I try to look up and figure out what the screen is telling me, then, you know, my eyes off the ball and I've lost the ball. So, so it is a really big challenge. I will say that, that we're, we're doing some really unique, um, creative things to kind of help deal with that issue. But it is, it's a constant challenge and a constant balance of, you know, a, the, the most important thing is the player has to have a sense of what they're supposed to be doing. You know, you don't want to leave them totally in the dark. They have to have some way, you know, and of course there's lots of ways to do that. There's, there's the inserts, there's, you know, voice, voiceover lines and dialogue and stuff and, and then visuals that can, you you really just want to help direct the players what they're supposed to do. So that's the biggest thing. Right. Um, and then if you can get some entertainment on top of that, then that's really awesome too. So if you can find a way to kind of marry both, right. Um, both those purposes and that's, that's really great. So Quinn, something that I've noticed and I've, I've like you, I'm not, I haven't been following pinball my whole life, but something, and I play a lot of video games and I, I read comic books and I love movies Something that's mm -hmm. always annoyed me about pinball is when you walk up to a game, and I always find that it's really hard for most people who walk up to a pinball machine to just know what to do immediately, to know what story I'm in, to know what like what my mission is, right? Like what, 
And are you guys tackling that? And like, how do we really pull people in to a narrative and an experience that has purpose and mission where they're not confused, we're not relying on a movie where they already know the pre-existing narrative? Like, how do sure. you, you know, how do you introduce it the way you would in, like in a Super Mario Brothers game or in Halo where there's actually a foundation for the journey you're about to go on? Yeah, well, so again, there's some things that we're doing that I can't fully talk about yet, but but uh, to kind of help tackle some of that. But yeah, tell me right, all your is... secrets, Quinn. Robert said it's okay. <laughs> no, it's, no, I understand. Um, but I will say that that one thing that we've kind of you know, and again, me coming from a video game playing life, and you know, in game design, you think, okay, so what is it that video games do? Um, you know, what, what is it that, like when you walk, like when we were kids and you walk into a video game arcade, what attracted you to one, to a particular game for me? I mean, I remember like talking about street fighter, like you were, I, I walking up to the street fighter machine and, and seeing this crazy, awesome cutscene that really gave you a sense of, oh my gosh, these are some cool looking characters, gives you a sense of what the action in the story is going to be and really sucks you into the attract mode type of deal, you know, is really, really big. Um, and obviously, you know, it's nothing new. It's what pinball's been since the beginning, but, but like the, the back glass artwork should pretty quickly tell you what, what the story and the theme and everything are to get you interested and think like, wow, who are these characters? And, and I want to find out what this world's all about. And I want to see what's going to play on the LCD screen when I, when I tackle this game. Um, but as far as like your, your question, one of your questions was, you know, how does someone who's just walking up to the machine, how do you give them a sense of what they're supposed to do? Um, and kind of the way that I look at that, and this is more on the, this is probably more on the art side, which, which I, I help with, you know, I help work with the, the artists and stuff to, to kind of help plan some of this stuff out. But obviously a big part of it is the play field. You know, if, if, if the play field is just kind of a big mess of artwork, as cool as that artwork is, if it's just kind of like a bunch of stuff just thrown on there that doesn't really help you figure out what you're supposed to be doing. But if, you know, if, and it's it just kind of comes down to like basic art principles of where is my eye being led? You know, is my eye being led to the major targets of the game? You know, is there, is that, is that incorporated into the artwork? So I, so I kind of subconsciously already kind of know where the main shots are. Um, so that's part of it. I don't know if that answers your question yeah, at all. No. I feel like. Well, and we, we've seen artwork too, you know, obviously improve across the category of, in pinball. Uh, but I've always said too, you know, a lot of it now, you know, we're getting very complex, detailed art, but the art doesn't really sync up with the shots all the time with the storyline, right? It's yeah. just, hey, here's like a lot of cool Deadpool artwork, but it doesn't really indicate that, you know, this this is the area where I'm supposed to do this, or this is the area where this happened. It's kind of just like putting art for art's sake, and and I, and I and I do think you can tell the story, but it's hard, right? Because it's it's a you, you only have one playfield, like, so you got to yeah. make every inch of art count if it's going to help or just be there for beauty's sake. Right, right. Well, and kind of the way I look at it, and again, I kind of think of things a lot of time in 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 the language of movies and video games and stuff. But I, I think a good example of this is I was watching uh, the Infinity War uh, with the commentary and the directors and the writers talked a lot about, they said, we obviously have so much going on in this movie, so many characters, so many plot lines. Um, every time we could have a scene that would 
it would we try to make it so it would basically multitask it would accomplish several things at the same time you know one this is what the main plot point in the exposition is two really entertaining action scene or whatever three advances the character arcs and if so if they can like be in a scene where they're like hey that's that guy over there that was a part of my you know part of my life um while they're jumping onto a plane or something. I don't know. I'm just making stuff up. Right. But if they can all that, if they can do several things at the same time, um, then that's the ideal. Whereas there are lots of movies where I watch it. I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. It just feels like a big mishmash of right. stuff. It's called, and, ju- and it's called just, justice league versus Avengers. Exactly. Exactly. And that's exactly what I'm thinking. And, and you know, so there's, and you know, so it's like, and I think the Marvel has done an awesome job with that of like, I admit it being entertained, but I'm also, I also am really emotionally interested in what's going on. Uh, up so I think at the point where they same. released the Spider-Man trailer and ruined the entire ending to Avengers Endgame. Did you see that <laughs> right. this week? They, they, they just no, released a new, well, they just released a new that. Spider-Man trailer and he's dead in Avengers. Like what are they doing? Right, right. right. So, you know, so it's just, you know, and so it's this, it's this weird thing. But yeah, so as far as it goes with pinball, I think it's the same thing. If you can find a way where the artwork is really cool, but it also serves a function and and moves the story along at the same time, or like, you know, it, it subconsciously tells you what you're supposed to be shooting at, what the important shots are, but it also looks really cool. Right. So then you blend. coming from the world of video games, and there's, there's obviously things that happen in video games that we've never seen before in pinball. For example, in a video game, you can save your game and return right. where you were. Is that something you guys are exploring with pinball? Um, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> he said very noncommittally. Right. Well, I mean, look, it, it's it's interesting, right? Because up to this date, I mean, pinball's always been about when you start a new game, you're starting over from the same place every time. I mean, I don't think I've seen a game where that's ever been different. Um, Quinn, did you play a lot of pinball machines just to see like how other games throughout the years have have a have tackled storytelling? And are there any of them that you were impressed by that you felt like this is this was a really good game that immersed me in the story and and the objective and 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 what were the elements that impressed you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, there's always the cool stuff where, like, uh, I'm just trying to think, like, like off the top of my head. Um, I mean, like Terminator. You, you play Terminator, you hit some stuff, and then they show a really cool scene of you shooting down a ship. And I'm like, well, that's really cool. I don't know if it necessarily is telling me a story I can follow, but but it looks cool. Um, so, yeah, that's a really good question. I would say that... Probably the one that comes to my mind is Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. the Ghostbusters pinball game in that, you know, the further you get, you are going from who brought the dog to, you know, the Ghostbusters, you know, getting knocked down in the, the pit in the street and then them climbing back up, you know, and stuff like that. So in that, so in my mind, I really like that because it does feel like you're progressing um, you're invested, you know, like I just thought that was really, I, I was actually just watching somebody play Ghostbusters the other day and it had that scene where one by one you know as you hit the correct shots you see the ghostbusters climb out and right and it was you know, it, and then, it was it was what well, was interesting with ghostbusters right it was it was a linear storytelling mechanism within that yeah. game yeah. and there was debate in that because in pinball there's people are so used to mode selection where if you look at a game like lord of the rings right everyone's familiar with the storyline within the trilogy star wars the same sure. thing you don't progress through the pin 
the same way you progress through the movies. You can actually, it's like choose your own adventure based upon the scenes that you're very familiar with. Right, right, right. Yeah, and I think that, that, you know, and I think that that's a cool way to do it. I kind of think a cool way to do it a lot of the time is, and again, I, again, I apologize for talking about video games so much, but that's kind of what my background was. But but like the Mega Man games, where it's like you have a first level, and then you have several levels where you can kind of choose the order you want to go in. But then ultimately, once you've accomplished all that, then you have a final level that's always the final level. But you have to do all these other things. You know, right. maybe not you can do it in a different order every time, but you have to accomplish all these things before you can get to the final level. Right, and that's sort of like Lord of the Rings. I mean, you've got you you've got to light all the different or finish all the modes uh, or the multi balls, and then you get to destroy the ring. So no matter what path you take in that game you will end up trying to destroy the ring the way Gollum did in the film right it's so it still it still syncs up with the finale that everyone yeah. loves from the from the movies um i guess you know a question i have quinn is one of the games that we know you guys are working on and this is not secret it's a game that okay. i've actually owned myself is magic uh-huh. girl john Popper. Right. and he mm-hmm. obviously john is probably the most high profile a hire that Robert made for obvious reasons. I won't go into it. Um, But because Magic Girl is a game that is out there in the world and that you guys are are retackling, have you, as a storyteller, and I have to say, because I owned a Magic Girl, and I'm not really sure what the story is, having played played the version that American Pinball shipped, uh, have you sat down with John and and, and Magic Girl, uh, and have you you know, figured out like what, what is the story of this game? Is it a prequel to theater of magic? And, and, and have you worked at all on that title? Um, I will say that, that we are doing some really, really cool things with it. Um, some of it we are keeping kind of with what the original themes and ideas were. And then some of it we're, we're taking it, um, further, I guess you could say. So we're really exploring the possibilities of, of what's possible. Um, with it has the story. a lot of it has a lot of further to go because the game right. I had the mechs, you know, half the mechs didn't work right. It, it was beautiful, right? And I think that yeah. was a game that visually told a story that it was almost like the cover of the book was there, and you just kind of wanted to see, like, well, what does the enchanted hair mean, right? Yeah. Like, what does Absolutely. this mean? The levitating ball, you know, the king's chamber. There was all, and I think John does a great job of visually introducing you to a world and, and, and a story on the play field. Uh, it's just like the mechanisms didn't bring to life what your eyes were seeing. Right. And so you guys, can... are you confident? Like we're gonna? Are we, I'm excited because I, so. This, and the reason why I do bring up Magic Girl Quinn is because it is a title that we know. Like it's 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 one of the only few that we know that you guys are confirmed to be working on. Um, sure. What what has it been like working with John and the other designers? Uh, really, really cool. Really, really cool. Well, and one of the things that's been so cool is you know with Magic Girls as, as a specific case. I mean, you're taking something that's been worked on by different people over several different iterations and then you're saying okay you know what what can we do to add on to it and to take it some some new directions that hadn't been explored before and have it still all you know honor what the original feel was and what the original intent was um so yeah it's a really cool it's a really really cool experience to kind of bounce ideas off each other and then and then kind of take some of these concepts and 
and kind of go crazy with them, you know, and, and really take them in a really cool direction. So, and I think it's something that people, when, when the game does come out, that people are going to really, really like. Right. So I know it's still kind of ambiguous. There's still some stuff yeah, I can't talk about. I mean, about. look, it's, I, I guess what I'm always curious about with pinball too is how, like, does the story come before the design? Do you wish the story came before anyone even started sketching a layout? Cause I always feel like, why not nail the story and then build the game around it? Well, that's, and so that's a really interesting question. And it's actually, it's so, yeah, I agree. Um, Cause I, de- you know, like I have, I have a com- like my comic book that I've been working on for a long time where I have definitely been very like, this is the story <laughs> and, and I want you to stick with what the story is. But then there's been other opportunities where you, they're kind of, you're given stuff that's already been done and, and it's actually a really exciting, cool thing to take that and be like, yeah, let's, let's, let's come up with something that takes this amazing design that didn't really have a whole lot of story behind it in the first place and build a really cool story around it. And then how will that connect to all these other cool concept art pieces and stuff and build those all off each other. It's kind of like, well, so, so kind of like a comic book example is, is with uh, Stanley and Jack Kirby. So they had a really interesting method that blows my mind because I don't, I could never operate this way, but, but uh, basically Stanley would go, Hey, I kind of have this general idea for this story for the fantastic four this month. And then Jack Kirby would be like, okay. And he would basically draw the entire thing with no dialogue and just, just kind of draw the action scenes and just be like, yeah, so I'm kind of drawing these action scenes with kind of in mind that some of this cool stuff happens and they meet this character and fight, but I don't really know what any of the dialogue is that what the actual story is going to be. And then Stan Lee would take that artwork and go like, okay, cool. And he just make up dialogue that went on, that went with the artwork. artwork. Right. So it was this really interesting creative process. And that's, so I feel like what we're doing a lot of time is kind of a mixture of that where there are, there are times where, you know, again, I, I, the designer has a basic concept of something and then I just kind of make up everything that builds on top of that. And then it goes from there. But then there's that it's a really kind of a cool challenge when you have something where artwork has already been done, where there's some story stuff that's kind of been done and, but, but really it's, and then you kind of had build on that, you know? And so it's, and then you, you know, collaborate and you work back and forth and you kind of develop it as you go and everyone throws in ideas that change the course of certain things. And it's a really, it's a really cool organic process of creativity. Yeah. I mean, I've always been fascinated too by music. I mean, some musicians, they write the lyrics first, then the music, and and then some write the music first, then the lyrics. Um, So something you said, Quinn, um, at Expo, and I know you guys were at Expo. Uh, Robert had the team up there and you know, there was a lot of very bold statements about what we were going to see from Deeper. But something you said, um, and I listened to your parts today, was that limitations are being taken away from pinball uh over at deep root can mm-hmm. you articulate what some of those limitations are that you guys are, are removing from the traditional experience that we might see in, in, a, in a deep root experience um i can say that one of the limitations that we are really tackling in a way that people i think will really really like is kind of what we talked about before of of just expressing to the player what they're supposed to be doing. Um, kind of taking away that, that struggle of, of playing a game and you lose, you like drain all three balls and you're like, I have no clue what just happened, you know, or what I was supposed to have done. So we're, we're doing some really cool innovations that will tackle that. Um, that's just one of the things. 
kind of the way, and I, again, I, I know I'm not really adding anything new to what Robert's already talked about um, in previous interviews and stuff, but but everything you can think of that drives people crazy about pinball, we are finding really cool ways to tackle that. What, what is a day like at Deep Root? You, you walk in the door, what, <laughs> like, you know, at some point, you're, do you have like a checklist of like, I need to help with storylines for X, Y, Z, and I've done that. Like, how is it? Is is what's it like? I mean, what's the environment like? I mean, it's it's still like very much a mystery to most of us. Sure. Well, it's 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 different every day. I will tell you that. Like, like I could be working on something totally different every day, or I could be coming back to something that I'd worked on a couple of weeks before, and now it's ready. From what other people are working on, now it's ready for me to then keep developing my part of it. Um, you know, we can get back. Well, so for like instance, for, for instance, like I share an office with, uh, with Steve and Blake and, you know, so Steve may be working on the rules for one of the games that I've been kind of writing the story for. Um, and then he gets to a place where he's like, okay, I think this is my first draft of this new rule set. And then I say, okay, great. I take that. And then I try to look at that and then re reconfigure some of the story to move around those rules uh, better so there's so that could be a project i'm working on for a week is just just tweaking that for a game um on it but as far as what 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 the environment is like it's awesome everybody is super super cool it's actually it's really interesting to to work in a place where there's no drama and everybody likes each other a lot and we have lots of fun, but everyone's working really, really hard and everyone's totally committed to what they're doing. You know, it, it's, it's funny because I feel like whatever you work, there's inevitably going to be just people that are different, you know, and there's going to be people that seem like they're just slacking off and goofing around and are just there to collect a paycheck and hope they don't get caught by the boss or whatever, you know. But there's none of that here. There's none of that here. Everybody's totally dedicated. Everybody's totally passionate about what they're doing. Everyone's amazing at what they do. I'm just right. So how often, cool. how often is John Bopadoop there? Is he, it's like, is he uh, often? Right. Um, it just depends. Just, you know, he, he's just, he's in and out. That's just kind of his arrangement that he has right. with when he's, but. right. So uh, Quinn, you know, it sounds like there's a lot going on, right? And is, oh, yeah. There's a lot of excitement, and we hear it from Robert. I think we saw it from the the team when you guys were at Expo. How far along are you guys? Um, you know, I don't know if I can comment on that at all. I will say that we we that we're really far along on a lot of stuff, and then there's lots of other stuff that's coming that that we're we're still developing. Right. And that's super ambiguous. I, I know, but no, uh, I mean, so twenty nine. I mean, we know that Robert said that TPF wouldn't be the five days of deep root, right? That was initially supposed to be the plan. Was that communicated to the larger team? Like the plan was at TPF 2019 to start to reveal to the world the magic you guys have been working on. And and we we heard a few weeks ago that that, that's no longer the case. Was there any like, was there any frustration by the team that we have to delay showing everyone like how badass we are or, or is everyone just like still focused on just making the best thing possible? Yeah, I think it's just where everyone's just so focused on making the best thing possible. Um, I will say one of the things that is just super awesome about working with Robert is that he's very open with everybody about stuff. He's very honest, um, very humble about stuff. And he's like, hey, you know, we've reassessed the situation and here's the decision that we made. And this is why we made it. And let me know if you if anybody has any thoughts or feedback. 
so it's just really cool. Everybody's totally on board with it. Um, we totally respect his decisions and he knows what he's doing. You know, he's a, he's a super smart guy. He knows, you know, who knows what he's doing. And, and, uh, yeah, so we're totally, I, as far as I know, we're all totally in support of, of his decisions and we just kind of do what makes the most sense for the, for the best of the company and, and to give everybody out there the best, the absolute best product they can get, you know? So now with, with so much stuff going on and, and Robert said that, we might in 2019 see Deep Root ship more games than any manufacturer ever. Is is there is there one game there that's pretty much just like it's it's done and and everyone's been jumping on it and, and being like this is it like let's get manufacturing ready because like at least this one's ready to go is or is it like everything's still in a little bit of a state of development? Uh, I mean everything's always being developed. Um, some are very much further along than others. Um, so I, I don't know if I can say much more than that. <laughs> That's fair. And so one of the things that on this show, and I know, Quinn, you haven't listened to Canada's Pinball Podcast, but I'm always harping on World Under Glass and that the mechanical toys in a pinball machine are so important, right? That you want to see the ball do something magical because what is the point of playing pinball if, if everything is happening on an LCD screen? I think that's lazy. I think it's a lazy way to bring the world to life if it's all happening on an LCD, right? right. Have you just been blown away by the toys and the, and the engineering that is happening under the world under glass? Like, cause I, I feel like that's what the pinball fans are craving more than anything. Yeah. Well, you know, I think a, a big philosophy that we have is that it's, it's a pinball game first and foremost. Um, it's not, it's not a movie, you know, see, so, so, so yeah, it has to, so we are, we are developing some really, really cool animations and stuff to go on the LCD screen. But, but the main focus is this has to be a solid game that plays really, really well. Um, that's really fun. You know, is it really fun? Does it shoot well? Are there really, like you said, are there really cool mechs? Are there really unique, cool things on this game that no one's ever seen before? Um, that's one thing that's been really, really cool is every, it seems like every game that we come out with, that every, you know, that whenever one of uh, the designers comes up with a new game, they're doing something that no one's ever done before, um, which is really, really cool. I mean, and, it, and it's honestly really cool that, you know, with a couple of the designers, I know that the games that, that we are now working on with them are games that they wanted to do for a long, long time. It was always just kind of a dream that they had in the back of their mind, but never really had the opportunity to do just because of who they were working for at the time or the limitations. And, uh, and, and Robert's just been like, yeah, that sounds really cool. Let's, let's figure out a way to do it. And the thing is we have, you know, the, the people that, that have been hired, like all the mechanical engineers and electrical engineers and everybody, I mean, everybody who works here is amazing at what they do. They're like geniuses. And, and it's kind of a lot of the stuff is, and I do think a lot of it, we have a really good mix of people that, that know the history of pinball really, really well. But then there's also a lot of us that are new to pinball. And because of that, we, we don't know any better. We don't know that you quote unquote can't do something. And so we just say, yeah, well, let's figure out a way to, to do this. And, I'm just I'm blown away about the by the stuff that they're inventing and figuring out how to do and 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 then to do more efficiently than has ever been done before. So right, and there, and and we've said this on this podcast before is sometimes there is a I don't know how to I want to put this properly, but a lot of people that are still making pinball machines today are the same people 
that have been making them for 30 plus years, right? And I think there's value in that institutional knowledge of a pinball machine and design and, and what works. But it's also refreshing to hear that there's new people coming from outside the industry because you don't get outside the box thinking unless you actually go outside the box. And yeah, so I totally. think there's, the expectations are high that that people are going to see stuff that they haven't seen before. And sometimes it's hard to get that when you're using the same people that have been making pinball year in and year out for 30 plus years. Right, right. So, so question about storytelling and and you know, you just mentioned that Robert is allowing a lot of the designers to sort of explore themes they've been thinking about for a long time, which, which you know, leads people to think that these are people's passion projects that they you know have have wanted to get off the ground for a long time. What's the mix like between original themes and and IPs? Because I know Robert said that you guys were celebrating that you secured an IP from the eighties. Is is it going to be a balance of movies or other IPs that people are familiar with, with original IPs. Uh, what's it, what's it like? And as a storyteller, you know, if the story's already been told, like just, let's say for example, Top Gun, right? There's no, sure. you don't have to, it's more about how do we, you know, how do we transfer that story from film to pinball? Right. And what, right. what kind of balance are we going to see from Deep Root? Um, I would say that, yes, we do have some, some, you know, IPs that people know and love, um, which is really cool. But but I, I would say our heaviest focus is on is on developing our own original IP, uh, which is really cool. Really really cool to just be able to kind of come up with something that no one's ever done before. Um, so yeah, I would say the balance would shift more toward us toward original IP. Right. Yeah. I mean, and you know, it's 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 interesting because. Uh, I think in a lot of levels, it's refreshing for people. You probably, you, you must have looked at like Dialed In, right? And did, are you familiar with Dialed In? Because that was an original IP game from Pat Lawler at Jersey Jack Pinball. Do you ever look at some of this stuff, Quinn, and be like, like, if only the story was better, right? Because we hear a lot of criticism <laughs> of like, what is the story of that game? And and it and it does feel like the story and the way it was executed kind of was kind of hurt what is otherwise an amazing pinball design right well well you know and so so i'm you know we have dialed in actually at our at our facility and you know everyone plays it all the time and loves it um but yeah but i actually had to have someone like explain to me what the story was and uh and then when they did explain it to me i was like oh it's kind of weird but okay you know <laughs> right and so you know, I mean, that's just an opinion thing, but, but yeah, I, it's a little, it's a little hard for me to wrap my head around. Um, so yeah, I don't know. know, And and, and it was, you know, it's funny too, because coming from comic books, Jack actually handed out a comic book to explain the story. Um, but no story will ever, ever, you know, make up for a grown man with a, wearing mom jeans with a dress shirt tucked into it, holding up a seat. You can't, you can't, you can't ever unsee that. And <laughs> so hopefully, you know, I look, but I think it's important because people do want original IP and pinball and some of the most magical games that people celebrate, for example, medieval madness, attack from right. Mars, monster bash, right? I mean, you go down people's list of favorite games of all time. And many of them are original stories, but the way those stories were executed were, were so well done. And so, so Quinn, talk to me about 
call-outs because I feel that the call-outs in pinball are probably the best way to bring a game's personality to life. How involved in you, are you with the script and the call-outs of these games? Uh, that's actually one of my biggest responsibilities is just to come up with all the voiceover call-outs. Um, yeah, so that's that's a big, big, big part of what I do uh, is just is just you know when we look at the rule set, we look at what all the events, the modes, the features are, and then you're like, let's come up with all the dialogue that or the call-outs that will that can be said or will be said. Right. Uh, so yeah, so that's totally what I'm doing all and, the time. And then the other part, which for some reason again, I always wonder why people cut this corner. Who do you get to do the callouts? Because there are voice actors that are professionals at it, and I think in pinball sometimes like it's like the people, sometimes like the designers themselves try to do most of the callouts. Are you guys working? You know, how serious are you taking the quality and nailing those callouts? So it's like, because you can't, it's hard to change them after you got them in. Right. Um. You know. So that part. So the actual recording of the callouts. Uh, that's something that then the, is kind of the responsibility of uh, David Teal and, and our kind of our sound guys. Um, you know, they've been doing that for years and years. They kind of know how the whole thing goes of, of hiring talent and kind of what they're looking for. So, right. So yeah. So at that point, they they kind of take care of that side of it. Um, so obviously, yeah, it's there. We're trying to make it as professional and good as we possibly can. Right. Coming from the world of video games and comics, is, is there a story? within those worlds that you would love to see made into a pinball game that you could sort of story direct? <laughs> yes. Well, I would love to see, uh, I'm like, so as far as video games go, I'm a huge Castlevania fan. Um, and so man, if, if for some reason we got to do a, a Castlevania pinball game, I would be all over that. I would think that that would be super fun, super cool. Oh yeah. With the music and it, what's great too is like, even like the you know the original graphics back in the day like that works so well on a screen too and are are you guys toyed around with too so there's what do you what are your thoughts in terms of storytelling with 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 video modes in, in pinball machines i know there's always a lot of debate about whether or not that breaks up the game whether or not it's you know how do you make it enjoyable uh, but you could transform a, a pinball experience into a, a video game experience like intermittently throughout the experience what are your thoughts on that do you like video modes or are you like no like why bother um you know i actually I, I really like video modes with the ones that i've seen so far like the one that comes to mind immediately was well because the the dracula bram stoker's dracula game that, that barry ausler did back in the 90s is just a super cool game and it's actually it's pretty close to what castlevania is <laughs> let's right. be honest so of course I like it automatically, um, but like the video mode where you're you're shooting werewolves in a graveyard, you know, um, that's super cool. Uh, but that being said, I think we we kind of feel like a pinball game is a pinball game for a reason, and um, so so video modes are fun, but they should not be the majority of the experience. You know, right. The majority of the experience should be the actual physical pinball or playing, you know, shooting the ball around and. And right. focusing on that. Now, so. part of when, when Deep Root launched, there was obviously the uh, the residual baggage from the Zidware error that I'm sure you're aware of. And Robert said in contractual promise that there would they would have to deliver um, 
some game, right? I think it's June of this year. Are, are you guys on pace to make sure that the ZID were people who are, you know, part of the arrangement that they would uh, have the ability to have some sort of restitution would would get some form of a game by June? Is that is that is are those games being pushed forward first because of that? Um, that's honestly something that's I I. I can't comment on, but I honestly don't follow like, that at all. God damn it, Quinn. Is there a working Magic Girl is all I'm trying to ask now. Because like, <laughs> well, I had a Magic Girl. I had one in my apartment. I paid $23,000 for it. Isn't that crazy? Right. I, yeah. opened, I opened it up, and it didn't really work. It's beautiful. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Um, sure. But I tell people it was like sleeping with a playmate with her clothes on. Um, <laughs> it, it, it just wasn't quite what i was expecting um so i'm I'm definitely would you know can't wait to see what you guys do um with those titles so i mean what what do you think like 2019 is going to be for you guys i mean you think this is going to be the year where the world's gonna you know understand the vision of deep root or do you think we're gonna have to wait a little bit longer um I think we're, we have some really awesome things planned for this year. Um, I don't know. I, you know, again, I can't comment on what's coming out when or anything like that. Cause that's all something that Robert's kind of tackling, but, but, uh, but yeah, okay. but I think we've got some really, really cool stuff. Um, so as far as exact dates of revealing and release and all that stuff goes, I mean, I'm not really the guy that knows that exactly, but, uh, but we are working on some super crazy cool stuff that people are going to love. Have you played Pirates of the Caribbean, Jersey Jack's new game? Do you guys have you guys spent any time on that? You know, I have not, but I've watched video of it, so that's I know it's not the same thing, but but uh, I have not personally played it yet. So that's a game that I've been hypercritical on of 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 being too complex, right? That you walk up to the game, and it's based on a movie franchise that I'm familiar with, and then you select 22 characters, right? Do you feel like in pinball? you know there's there's just a a flow when it comes to telling a story that needs to have some sort of pace to it and if you if you if you add too many layers you know sometimes right. i feel like these games are being designed for like home collectors but a game can be deep and approachable and i think that's what lyman sheets does so well uh, but how do you get that balance right where we want to give someone who's going to own this game for a really long time uh, in experience, it's not going to grow old, but it's not going to be too complex. Have you guys thought about, and then the other thing I, I'm always confused about, why why does code have to be like 1.0 and done? Like, why not give people code updates every six months, every year, and create a whole new experience within that play field? You know, so that's a really good question. I will say that we are definitely striving to tackle that. Um, Steve is amazing at making these rule sets. And and a big, big focus has been how do we make rule sets that are going to be fun and understandable and really compelling for someone who just plays the base game, you know, someone who just comes up and, and plays it and is new to pinball. Um, but, but to also give lots of, like you said, kind of additional content for people that, that continue to play it, that really invest in it and spend a lot of time, then they start unlocking more and more stuff that goes on top of that. But we want to make sure that, that, that you know, the, the regular person who's just playing the pinball game um, has a really satisfying, really cool experience. Right. Uh, so we're kind of, we're, yeah, so we're definitely aware of that, and that's a big priority that we're working on. So in video games, Quinn, you know how even before you begin in a lot of games, you can set the difficulty level. Sure. Right. And and that's something that's really important, right? Because set it too hard and it's completely frustrating and no one wants to play. 
said it too easy, it's too easy, you know, the hardcore gamer gets bored. Pinball machines have a really, they don't allow you to do that. And and, and the only area where they allow people to do that, I, I think, are two areas. You can usually go in and put it to five ball or seven ball, right? So you can increase your ball amount, but whenever you do that, people make fun of you. And then you can <laughs> lower your outlane post. Right, so there's like okay. a, there's a physical thing you can do, and there's a software thing you can do, but no one's ever allowed you to go up to a pinball machine and just say, "I just want to put it in beginner mode." And let's say we're talking about Batman '66, and then in beginner mode, it's really set up for a very simple objective. Maybe the crane swings out, and it's all about like who can hit the crane the most time in five minutes, just to get people familiar with the game, with the shots. Have you guys been tackling that? Where you know, most of these games now are being made for the hardcore pinhead who 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 can dive deep into the code. But when you're trying to introduce people to pinball, I find most of these modern machines to be uh, completely incapable of of giving a, a newbie that an experience. Right. No, and I totally agree. I totally agree with, with again just in the short time that I've been in the pinball world. I totally agree. Yeah. So I, I just think yeah, it's something that that. Everything that people gripe about with pinball that has been driving people crazy, we we really examine all that and and then see what we can do to to not have that and <laughs> to solve that problem. Having not seen any deep root machine or anything, uh, uh, should we expect a deep root machine to look like the pinball machines that are out there today, or is there going to be anything uh, just completely different we've never seen before within a pinball package? Well, one of the things that we're really excited about that I, I probably shouldn't tell you about, but I will, is that these pinball machines actually um, are built to hover. So you can actually get on top of it and ride it from home oh, to work. Here I was thinking we were going to get something. <laughs> what talk to, I, I'm a big fan. This is just a weird thing about me, but I, I love pinball toppers. And I've always thought the topper is a piece of real estate that is underdeveloped and underutilized within the storyline of a game. Um, yeah. And it's a great piece of real estate, and I'm always, I'm always like, why don't companies do more with inter, like in, interacting with the topper while you're playing the game? Is are you guys are, will we see toppers? Is that part as you walk around the Deep Root Factory? Are we seeing machines with something on top that also creates a more like you know visually stunning part of the game? Uh, I will say we've definitely we've definitely talked about it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Well, look. Quinn, I, I really appreciate the time. I look, I know this. I, I I did not expect you to come on and be like, Chris, here's the '80s IP we got. Chris, here's when we're releasing this. Here's you know, I know I don't expect that. Um, we keep hearing these good things. I mean, I, I always say this. I don't think this is another Zidware vaporware journey. I mean, not many people I've seen behind your curtain, but the ones who have continue. Uh, to say good things. So, so Quinn, there's about like 1,500 to 2,000 pinball collectors who listen to this show. What would you like to tell them about, should they hold on to their money and wait to see what comes from you guys or should they keep just buying the next from everyone else we know? Uh, I would say, <laughs> I would say, if you want to buy stuff to tide yourself over because you want to do that and that's and you have the money to do that, then that's that's totally up to you. But I will say you're, it's totally going to be worth the wait. All right. Well, really, I, think, really, I think that's a good place to end with excitement and curiosity. I mean, this is this is where we're at. I mean, you, just so you know, Quinn, I, I'm fully expecting 
Robert to show up with something on TPF. There's just, I just, that's just my speculation. But I think Robert is not going to let his backyard uh, be dominated by the competitors. But anything else, Quinn, that you know is going on that you can share that you think would be interesting to the people who have been waiting anxiously to see what Deep Root is up to? Oh golly. Uh, Does anyone sleep in the deep root factory? Is there like a? I always feel like there's a J-pop bunk bed somewhere where they're like. <laughs> uh, no, but we we do have a workout facility, so that's kind of cool. Who's in the gym? <laughs> <laughs> I'm always advocating uh, that people should work out as much as they play pinball because I think health is the most important thing in life. But <laughs> when I go to shows, clearly nobody takes my advice. Right. Well, people also bring in donuts a lot, so there's that. So they might just cancel each other out. Are people working there like throughout the night? Like, is it just like, you know, everyone's just so excited? Like, there's not like this is not a nine to five joint. It's just, you know, people burning the midnight oil, making these things happen, or what? You know, if there are, I don't know who they are, Um, but definitely people just strive to use their time as effectively as possible. We may get to that point. I don't, I don't really know what the future is going to hold, but, but, uh, yeah, I don't feel like there's anybody that's feeling, if, 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 if you're kind of asking if people are like stressed out of their minds and working crazy hours to try to take care of everything, I don't feel like that's the feeling like there's not a feeling of. Because I've been in some companies where it was crunch time and it's just like everyone's just exhausted and so sick of this whole thing and just wants it to go away and we don't have anything like that at all. It's just an awesome place to be with really, really great people So right. and working and, on stuff that I really love. So. And Quinn, this is, this is your full-time job, right? I mean, this is this is where you're at now. This is it, yep. yep. All right. And you come from Salt Lake City? Correct, huh? Uh, do, do you know anyone at – do you know any that like – the guys over at Chair Entertainment, like Donald Mustard. I'm just asking you like off the cuff questions, but I used to work with those guys over there at Chair Entertainment. Do you know who that is? Like the video game guys? Yeah, I've, I've, I know of them. Um, I'm sure that I've worked with people that worked there. Actually, it's ringing a bell, but I can't think of. I can't they, think of anyone. They did. A- they did Advent Rising from Majesco. Now I think Donald's gone on to do like Infinity Blade. That. Um, yeah. And yeah. now he's at Epic Games with like Cliffy B and all those the crazy guys. Um, well, look. Quinn, this has been a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time. I, I think everyone realizes that you can't disclose too much. Uh, and it's going to be an interesting 2019. There are a lot of companies trying to be competitive in pinball. Uh, and I've been saying on this show that I, I think that Deep Root has to, you know, they have to come out with something special or, or the whole thing will, will fall flat on launch. So it sounds like what you guys are seeing is going to be worth the wait. Is that fair to say to the, the listeners? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Well, I I told, I told Robert, I mean, I want, I still want a working magic girl. So (laughs) if it ever happens, um, I told him I want game number one or two, whichever he'll give me. But, uh, and then in terms of pricing, Quinn, like you guys, as you're doing all this design, I know pinball pricing, you see these games, right? You see like a game can be $5,000 then Beatles is like $25,000. Like, where within the marketplace are you guys trying to go? Are you are you guys going to try to offer games within a variety of prices, everything from pro to collector pricing? Yeah, well, kind of the way that we that I've looked at it is it's kind of like when the Wii came out, how suddenly it was 
it introduced a, it was accessible to people that had never really been into video games before. Like there were still systems out there for people that were super hardcore that had been playing it forever. And, um, but there are people that like this kind of this untapped, um, group of people that, that suddenly got introduced to something that was really easily accessible and really fun. I, I, we are, I, I would say that we are trying to hit both those demographics, you know, make, make pinball accessible to people that have never played, you know, families and, and, and stuff, but then also have lots of really cool stuff that will that will be more, that might be more interesting to people that are super hardcore that have been playing it for a long time. So we're really trying to hit hit all those different groups of people and find something, you know, provide something that everyone will really, really like, so. All right, well, Quinn, thank you for taking the time. Uh, you bet. I appreciate it. I look forward to seeing what you guys come up with. Uh, and hopefully we'll, we'll get you back on the show when we have more specific games to talk about so we can deconstruct the storylines you've worked on. Um, but we'll yeah. just consider this an introduction to uh, Canada's yeah. Pinball Podcast and, and to, to Deep Root. But you guys have everyone's curiosity peaked, so we hope you guys deliver. Yeah. Oh, we are, yeah, absolutely we will. And, and we're just oh, we're so excited to, to get to the point where we can like really dig into everything that we've been working on because – yeah, it's like I think of like movie stars that that like filmed a really high profile movie that was like for them it was a year ago, but they still kind of talk about it until the movie starts coming out, and that would drive them crazy. And so yeah, that's how a lot of us feel. So we're just really really excited when this stuff becomes more public knowledge, and then we can really dig into it with people. So awesome! Well, we'll be we will be the first podcast to cover when any news happens. We do about <laughs> I do about three shows a week, which is unhealthy, but it it gets yeah, other pinball intense. news. Well, Quinn, thank you so much. Have an awesome night, and I hope to see you soon at one of the pinball shows. Awesome. Thanks, man. Good All to right. talk to you. You too. Bye. Don't stop. Believe.